listening to The Local Bar Podcast with your host, Chad Alexander. Come on in. We have a lot of friends we want you to meet. Well, hello there. Back home in beautiful downtown Columbia, South Carolina, located right in the heart of Rosewood, this is The Local Bar. I'm your host, Chad Alexander, and of all the places you could be, you have decided to spend some of that time with us today. How you doing? Local Bar can be found on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever you get your good podcast. Part of the Pottern family group that tools around the Twitterverse. If you'd like to uh, reach out to us here at the show, chad at localbarmedia.com. Find out more about us over at localbarmedia.com. And if you want to support the show, keep us loud, live, and independent, patreon.com slash local bar is where you can go throw a little cash our way and it allows for us to uh keep doing this jazz and and hopefully do it more on the regular i uh have a great great interview today one of my i i gotta the, the past couple of days i've been thinking about it one of my favorite interviews i've had in a while one, one that i didn't see coming and uh it was absolutely fantastic i hope you enjoyed it it is with uh, Miss Ashley Moore. Uh, we'll get into that here in a few minutes, but uh, it's certainly a great interview. Something that I found uh, extremely interesting, and I mean, it came out of left field at me. So, uh, really neat. Hope you enjoy it, and uh, looking uh, looking forward to sharing that here with you in a few minutes. Uh, happy Valentine's Day! And recording this time of recording is Valentine's Day morning. Early in the morning, it's kind of cold out here. I um, I don't know what you do for Valentine's Day. I am one of those that has never been a big Valentine's Day fan. It seems like in past years in my life, it's been one of those events that I'm I'm not really big on, but it seems like whoever I'm around for some reason is. Uh, and so it makes it even that much more, uh, I'll use the word tedious. Um, my wife is not huge on it. It's not a big thing for her, but we do a thing. It's something I've always wanted to do. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm actually not a hundred percent sure how I came up with this. Um, uh, but since Marie and I got together, I, I wanted to do something for Sterling, um, and, and, and take her out on Valentine's day. Uh, the night before, because you can actually get a reservation then. But but the the deal is, you still got to get dressed up. You got to do all that stuff. Like it's not just we're going out to to uh, to Dano's Pizza or something like that. Like you got we, we got we have to go somewhere nice. So it means you got to sit in the chair right and not act like a barbarian. We may not have the not acting like a barbarian part down, but we're getting close. Um. Last night, uh, we actually happened to have Bryn, our other daughter, who uh, has not been able, just because of divorced parent scheduling, is she's never been able to, to to go to that with us. And so we all went and we had a blast. And it's one of those, it's one of those dad moments I get. I talk most, <laughs> probably most of the time on this show, seeing that we have a family show, uh, I talk most of the time on this show about this kind of stuff and all of you and brag about all the music stuff that I do, but I, you know, really at, at heart, my favorite things is when I get to sit back and do 
what probably seems cheesy to some of you guys out there that, may, that, that, that don't have kids, but when you get to like, you know, do you remember at Christmas or Easter, whenever your family would get together, Thanksgiving, how either your dad or granddad would sit in that chair over in the corner and really not say much? Those are the best. Yes, yes, yes. There's a time that I sit around and don't don't say much. My wife is laughing right now when she's listening to this, but I I will point this out to her. At Christmas, when they are decorating the tree, after I've gotten the tree up and uh, got the lights put on and all that kind of stuff, I sit back with uh, a white Russian and It's a Wonderful Life playing on the TV, and I sit back far enough that I can get everything in perspective but not close enough that I'm involved really in, in, in the immediate scene. And, and I'm going to tell you, I understand why dads do that. It's like watching your favorite movie every year at that time. And, and, and there's something about going out to dinner and, and, and having fun and Maria having to fuss at, hey, don't put that uh, napkin on your head like that and all that kind of stuff. It's fun for me to, to kind of take all that in. And so it's it's interesting. Uh, that is what Valentine's has kind of become for me now. So now, now it's something that I love. I mean, it is. that Valentine's is now a holiday that I completely dig and love it. Uh, and it's because of that. But the day after comes, the, the actual 14th. Now, uh, it's actually kind of cool. My wife and I don't have the kids tonight. So we get to hang out and do whatever we want, which is nice because that has not happened since pre-holidays. Um, but, uh, there's a lot of you that have challenges out there right now because a lot of you forgot that it was Valentine's and it's Friday. I, I, I want to point something out. I listen to a lot of radio. I don't watch that much live TV anymore, but I obviously scour the internet and I have noticed a trend lately. You get into August, maybe early September, and you will start to see Halloween decorations out. You get into the 1st of October, and you start to see Christmas, because we apparently just don't give a damn about Thanksgiving anymore. Um, I, I mean, you see tons of Black Friday stuff. I mean, if we can capitalize on it, we'll, we'll, we'll market that hell out of it. But you don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of uh, Thanksgiving stuff, um, and then you know Christmas. I almost think Christmas starts in August now. I don't, I don't know, but I've noticed something over the past couple of years. I've noticed that Valentine's Day is not really getting a lot of the commercials that you see, other than the heart jewelry stuff that you see from K Jewelers or Name Your Chain Jewelers, where that piece of jewelry normally would cost somewhere around $25, but they're selling it for $89 and telling you it's a steal because you got to get in there and they've got, don't worry, they won't run out. They've got thousands of them behind the counter. And you'll go get that, and she will tell you she loves it. And she dies a little bit inside when you give it to her. Okay. Um, always go with flowers. Just I, if I could give guys advice, women don't listen. Just go with flowers. They lo- and I will tell you this. I will tell you this. You can get them flowers, and I, and I've done this too. You can get them flowers and have them at home, and they're great places you can go and get gorgeous flowers. 
And it's really kind of nice. And it, it, it really, listen, I, I'm no florist, but flowers really do kind of make a difference in a room, and it's great. Uh, you really want to get the full credit for them? Send them to work. Don't doubt me on this. Send them to work. Because as much as she loves the gesture from you, there's nothing she likes better than showing everybody else that you appreciate her too. And it's not only that. If she works in an office, buddy, you don't want her being the only one in the place not getting flowers. Just trying to help you out here, okay, guys? Just uh, just file that away for next for next Valentine's Day. You, you need to do it. Pay the money. Take the time. Just just do it, okay? But going back to my point, I, I have not seen as much Valentine's commercialism. And think about that. Valentine's Day this year in 2020 falls on a Friday. Peak, peak time for dinner, dancing, going out and doing what he getting away for a weekend. Why would you not start? Directly after Christmas and New Year's. Hey, the next thing on your list should be Valentine's Day. It's right around the corner. Book a getaway now on our three-day cruise. You only have to take one day off work. Our hotel is running a special for couples that want to get away for one night. Whatever it is. Why are you not seeing that? I'm going to tell you why. I believe in my heart of hearts that somewhere... It's probably like a writer for Grey's Anatomy, one of those shows where they just like hate guys. Has probably taken over marketing for Valentine's Day, wherever the wherever the head honchos for our holiday sit. And that writer has taken over for Valentine's Day. And they are marketing towards the women that want to be martyrs. That want to sit around and say, oh, you forgot Valentine's Day. They, 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 they are wanting to make Valentine's Day more of a martyr-filled holiday. I swear that's what it's got to be. There's no way you shouldn't have heard more than just the people from uh, Every Kiss Begins With K. You, you should have heard from every restaurant, every hotel, every travel agent. Oh, my God. No, the only thing I heard, 1-800-Flowers, which they're fantastic. I I can't recommend them enough, and they don't sponsor the show. Um, K Jewelers. What's that horrible one? Jared? Is Jared the Galleria? What's the difference between a Galleria and a gallery? No idea. It's just a fancier type of jewelry store, I guess. Um, I swear that's what they're doing with this, with this holiday. I swear it is. So for those of you who took the time to do something nice or for those couples that are great that utilize Valentine's Day as a chance just to hang out and not go overboard or the ones that say, well, we celebrate Valentine's Day every day and not just one day, liars. But, you know, to to all of those folks, man, I'm sure you've gotten through this unscathed. Congratulations. For those of you, if you're listening to this and it is already too late for you and you have screwed up Valentine's Day, Just take your boy's advice, spend the money, do the right thing, do it early so you get the better flowers too. Do it. Don't wait to the last minute or the week before. Go go back two, three weeks, a month before. Order the flowers, have them set. You'll 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 thank me later. Okay, just do it. Um. 
this week I uh, I had the chance to sit down with uh, someone who, who we we've crossed paths when we did the Facebook game. Uh, we had something north of 250 mutual friends, but as we kept asking the other one about the other one, um, we, we realized we weren't quite sure who those friends were. <laughs> so um, it's it's one of those things that, that somehow our paths have crossed. We've got a couple of areas where we think they have, um, but the opportunity to do this show and promote uh, not only her, but what she does uh, just kind of came up. It is perfect timing. I was so impressed uh, not only with uh, her, but the studio, and even with the folks as I was leaving the studio, what I saw. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. As we did the interview, we sat in the main lobby of her dance studio. When you come in, uh, you come in the main door, and you would keep walking straight to get to the first main dance floor. Well, we were sitting to the right, so my back was to the door. I heard people coming in and out, um, but I was surprised as I turned to leave um, what I saw and how that really poignantly pointing something out to me as I was leaving. More on that in a couple of minutes, but right now I'd love to bring you the interview I did with the owner of Sage Studios. Let me try that again because I'm a professional podcaster. With the owner of Sage Studios, this Ashley Moore. And I will talk to you on the other side of the break. There's a girl in Texas away from me. Her eyes are blue as the salt sea. And I saw her once on my TV. And I know this sounds crazy, but I believe in destiny. Something about a girl in tight, dirty jeans A cowboy hat and a tattoo of James Dean She's such a rebel when she dances She's like a sex machine And she drives all the boys crazy Yeah, she drives all the boys crazy There's a girl in Texas waiting for me Her eyes are blue as the salt sea And I saw her once on my TV and I know this sounds crazy, but I believe in destiny. All right, well, joining me this week is I get a chance to interview someone who does something. And in the, in the four years of this podcast, this is another first, which is great. Uh, I'm actually uh, visiting her in her dance studio uh, the owner of Sage Studios over in West Columbia, South Carolina, Miss Ashley Moore. Ashley, how are you? Very well, thank you. Well, thanks for letting me come over and, and crash your place today. So we're going to get into a couple of things. You, you've kind of given me a tour around the studio, and I'm, I'm so interested in, in sharing kind of how you got here in, in a little bit, because I think that story is, is exactly one of the things that I'm looking for with this. But um, So if, actually, if I was smart, I would have had the recorder going while we were walking around, but that that's, that's my <laughs> fault, not yours. Um, Explain a little bit about what you do here, in, incorporating all the different facets that are here in the building. But talk a little bit about what you guys do in the studios here. Uh, so primarily the, the reason for having the studio is to hold dance classes and dance rehearsals. 
Um, I teach a form of belly dance that is very modern. Uh, we use a lot of electronic music as well as Arabic music. Um, and so the primary reason for the studio existing is that uh, myself and uh, one of my uh, studio partners here, Maria Palacio, really needed a place to teach where we weren't going to have people turning their noses up at us because we teach a fringe form of dance. Um, so this is kind of our own place. We don't have to answer any weird questions, <laughs> right. and we don't have to over-explain ourselves. Gotcha. So let's 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 start there because it's um, you know as I drive around town, there are uh, a lot. I run into dance studios here and there. Um, run into you know di other different types of kind of out there forms of exercise and, and places for people to express uh, themselves and their art or however they, they they want to express themselves through art, if you will. Um, I cover the whole state with my real job, and so I, I see the same things there in, in any city that I drive around in the state. Uh, I don't think I've come across a, a, a belly dancing studio, what, be it fringe or not. I, like, I don't know. So right, is, yeah. it, is it as rare as it seems like it is? I, I would say most belly dance teachers are at the mercy of local yoga studios and other dance studio ballrooms and places like that where they would just come and pay by the hour to teach their classes. Yeah. Um, it is extremely unusual to have a business that is, is somewhat dedicated to that style of dance. Um, and I would say that we are uh, definitely the only place that's dedicated to putting adult women on a stage to perform who are uh, neither children nor professionals. Right, gotcha. Yeah, it's gotcha. really the only place that, that a woman of whatever size, whatever age can, can come and begin possibly her first dance classes and end up on a stage in costume and makeup doing a professional level production. Okay. So I know you've been in this studio for almost half a year now. How long did you have the studio at the old location? Uh, I opened my studio in 2016 uh, in Taps Art Center, and I believe it was 2017 that I opened the Movement Arts Co-op within Taps Art Center. So I went from having a really teeny tiny dance studio where I was just shoving my students in like sardines. Yeah. Um, and then expanded. So we were there for a total of three and a half years. Okay. Before we moved out, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, the sad thing about this is, is this is not a video podcast. So I, you know, the, the people are at the mercy of how I describe things. As I start to talk about this, if this, if, if the way I'm describing it does not sound right, please correct me. Okay. So I, I pulled up here. This is a really incredible space that you have. Obviously, when you walk in, there's a well. What, what you and I are sitting in, you call the living room. Mm -hmm. It's a very comfortable area right here. Um, and then there's a what what I would call like it, it looks like what what would be described as the main dance room. Big mirrors up all over two of the walls. There's mm -hmm. tons of space in here. To the left, there's another room uh, where you have there, there's another artist that leads. Her own classes as well. Yeah, it's, it's basically two adjacent 700-square-foot rooms okay. that are dance studios. You're better at this than me. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So there, I, but and then in the back, there is, is a flamenco instructor. And I, I dug how they, they put up the board so they raise the floor so you can get the good stomping sound whenever yeah, you're doing yeah. that. I call it their resonant floor. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It, it, it sounds, it's, it's a little bit more artistic there. But again, you're much better <laughs> at this than me. So, and then you actually have a photographer that's here in the back too that works yes. with you. So you've got a lot of different artists 
here and they've kind of had their own little home here so not only do you have a place like you said for women that want to come in and try something different but it looks like you've surrounded yourself with people that have that same kind of mentality as well yeah and i would say well first of all without either one of them i wouldn't be able to maintain this three thousand square foot space and all of the utilities bills that comes with it so i i um i will uh just volunteer that I need them here um, but I also will say that the relationship that I have with these artists uh, is a testament to my ability to to bond with the community uh, locally because uh, Maria Palacio who teaches her Alegria belly dance classes I met her uh, 15 years ago and uh, we've been sharing studio space for over two years now um, and uh, Brad Martin, I met him last spring through okay. Tap Center and just uh, bonded with him right away. It was really easy to ask him to come and I was so surprised and pleasantly surprised and, and excited that, that he said yes. Same with Cinco Pau Flamenco is uh, uh, I met them through Maria about two years ago and um, I asked them if they would come look at this space back in September and they said yes 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 <laughs> and uh, it, it's just been really incredible I I am like uh, just really humbled and um, I don't know I'm just uh, I don't know why I'm always surprised when things work out the way that they're <laughs> supposed to but right. yeah yeah that's cool all right so I want to go back and I want to talk a little bit about taps but before we talk about the building and where you are um, it was about a year or two ago one of the shows I did was with an old buddy of mine. His name's Mark Rapp. He's the, um, the South Carolina ambassador for jazz in the state. Uh -huh. he's, the House of Representatives gave him that. He, he runs Cola Jazz. And we're sitting, we're having a discussion kind of like this. And he, he talked about how jazz had really has, has become something that you could hear maybe on Thursday nights in town. To any time, any night of the week, you can go somewhere and hear it. And, and while he was... He's given a lot of credit for being a catalyst for the change with that. Mm -hmm. He talked about how he came here and he was, you know, this is a guy that's played around the world with, with I mean, he's a professional musician, played with huge names. And he said he cannot understand when he came to Columbia, the, the talent and the musicians that were here. Um, my daughters have done some stuff over at the Taps Art Building. I, I, I've had friends that do have done comedy over there, mm -hmm. Jen Snyder and, yes, and all those. Yes. And so I've, I've since that conversation with Mark, and, and I'm, I've kind of just been ingrained in the music community, I'm finding that, that outside of that, that I think Columbia's art scene is incredibly underrated, not just where it was in music, and still a little bit maybe in yeah. some places, um, but in, in, in all the different types of art that we have here, it seemed like Taps ended up being kind of a monument where everyone could kind of join yes. and, and, and kind of uh, converge and be able to, to share ideas and show off what they do and invite people in. Um, so first I want to go back to tell me what it was like to be at TAPS when you were starting this idea and getting it going. Like, did you find that to be something that you were suddenly surrounded by other artists that maybe even inspired you or encouraged you to keep going or gave, gave you different ideas? Yeah, when, well, when I first uh, moved into TAPS, it was really quiet. Uh, there oh, were, really? Yeah, there okay. were other artists around, They, you know, in and out, but evening time after 6 p.m. was often a ghost town. A uh, very kind of quiet, spooky quality to it. And, it, and while I was there over three and a half years, 
and I, I give a lot of credit to Caitlin Bright, the executive director there. Mm-hmm. Um, there seemed to be a sort of talent vacuum that was created um, right after I moved in. We started to get uh, artists moving in and staying longer. Okay. Um, rather than just kind of cycling out over and over again, we, we had people really committing. Uh, we also had a group kind of establish a um, al- alternative venue in the basement uh, called the Space Hall. Yeah. Um, and that was headed up by uh, Sean, Sha- Sean Chappelle is his name. Um, and he's still working with Tap's Outpost now and okay. Caitlin Bright. They're all still there. I'm the one that fled. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... Um, uh, there became this like uh, just culture of people who were suddenly making it look normal to be a working artist. And we were all still broke. We just all were in the same building all of a sudden. And that is definitely thanks to that mission. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, back in October, you suddenly had to leave the, 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 the that monument that taps. And, yeah. and go out on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, if you don't mind, retelling the story about how you came across this place. Yeah, we. So it was. I can't remember the exact date, but it was in September. We got the call. Um, I was working as operations director at Taps for about six months at that point, and we got the call. Um, hey, we're hate to tell you this, but you've got to move out by November thirtieth. And uh, so, I. I realized then I wasn't just losing my dance studio and I was losing my job and my dance studio and so was everyone else. And so um, it was like the next morning I got up and just drove around and the first place that I drove up to was this studio. Um, and it almost, it really looked like it was mine already. It already had a lot of the mirrors. Um, hanging and there was a number on the door I called it and I met the landlord uh, an hour later um, and by that was a Thursday or Friday and by Monday he had my deposit in his hand so and I had a key so it was a it was a really quick thing and it was uh, it's incredible because myself and Maria and um, the girls from Cinco Pau were all sharing a 300 square foot studio in the basement of Taps, and now we are sharing a 3,000 foot studio. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, I mean, it seems like you, you said earlier it's great when or it's always amazing how things just kind of fall into place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a little bit more wise than that. I know they may seem like they fall into place now, looking back on it. But during the middle of it, I'm sure there were some times that were coming up that you were unsure that anything was going to happen. Like, tell oh, me about something okay. like that that yeah, you yeah. had to kind of. Well, my my dance students are familiar with the this uh, pattern of about every four to six months, I have a major existential crisis that is caused by <laughs> some right. sort of pivot that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's creative, and sometimes it's physical. It's where do we go? How much money do we have? What shows are we going to be invited to? Um, who Who's mad at us now for being <laughs> belly dancers? So, right. you know, uh, every every so often, I, I've gotten used to it too. Every so often, I just kind of fall on my face and kick and scream and cry, and then everything um, shifts anyway the way that it's supposed to, and then it's fine. And I think that, I mean, and this is for artists uh, of every discipline of every walk of life it doesn't matter if it's a 
rich, successful artist or a starving artist like like all of us um, is just not quitting is really the main thing. Hmm. Um, I think that I can have my dance company in my living room if I lost everything. It would keep going um, because I don't have an option to quit even if I lost even if I lost the, the whole studio, which I, I can't imagine that happening at this time. But, you know, everything has a season, and this was just the, the best fit for us. Um, we have a great community between the three dance companies. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of Buddhist in my detachment from it being permanent because I know that things change mm. uh, quickly and suddenly. So let's go back, go back to the very beginning here, because again, like we talked about, this is very rare. It's not something that you see. It's not something that's very transparent to people as they drive around town. It's interesting that you talk about yoga studios. Maybe somebody comes in and teaches an hour or two on a Saturday for it. Mm -hmm. What got you into this from the beginning? Into uh, belly dance? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I saw, oh my gosh. So I worked at a record store in Georgia and I can't remember what the name of the um, that website was. That we, it was a distributor, and you could order all of your CDs for your customers on Tuesday, and it would arrive on Wednesday. Like, so okay. the deliveries were always on Wednesday, no matter when you place your order. Yeah. And I was browsing. The I love movies. this that we're dating ourselves so badly because know, you just yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. working in a record store, and I, I, I totally went with you. Like yeah. half the population listening to the show has no idea what you're talking about. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like yeah, the way that you would browse movies right. because this is before Netflix even. Right. Is you would like go on like some dumb dvd website and order dvds and yeah. this just happened to be a distributor for a store okay um and at the time i was already really into yoga i think i was like 18 i had a little weekend warrior kind of yoga certification and i was teaching at a ymca so i've always been teaching okay uh fitness i taught swim lessons water aerobics i was a lifeguard i taught uh, uh yoga i taught reebok spin classes yeah yeah. Uh, so, um, and I was, you know, in the spin class, I was well known for my playlists because my music selection was impeccable there. because of where you yeah, 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 it was really out there. So, uh, I came across a DVD that said yoga, comma, isolations, comma, and drills, and the, the cover was black. And there was this like darkly lit uh, woman and she was like looking down and she had this tattoo on her belly mm -hmm. and she had like all this heavy metal jewelry shoot and like black mascara and black eyeliner and it was like this really goth tribal looking person. Okay. And her name was Rachel Bryce. Uh, I ordered the DVD. I think I thought it was, I don't know what I thought it was. <laughs> and it was actually like a, a belly dance class. It was like a belly dance conditioning DVD. Okay. So marketed, probably marketed to people who are already belly dancing. Okay. But it was so goth and dark and like uh, the girls that were into this specific brand of belly dance, this fusion style, were uh, were like 
badasses. Like they had facial piercings and they had tattoos all over, which is why I'm heavily tattooed. You can't see me, yeah. but um, I'm heavily tattooed. Um, and uh, I usually have, I've had my septum pierced for, I, I, I'm definitely going to age myself, but I've had my septum pierced for probably 16 years. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't know that you could be a belly dancer and like, and be into the fantasy of it and not be like looking like an Arabian princess fantasy sultan's delight kind of right. thing. Like I did that didn't appeal. I didn't know that you could be a belly dancer and not and have not, to address that part. Yeah, yeah, and not like dance for your sultan <laughs> husband. <laughs> right, you know. Right. Uh, so that was really uh, my like gateway drug into this kind of. It's a West Coast style. It came out. Of, I mean, I can talk forever about the history of this specific style that's from uh, generally from San Francisco and Northern California. Um, and uh, it just stuck around since the 80s and it got weirder and darker and and more, I don't know, uh, global. And uh, it was easy. It, it was easy for me to adopt it, it as like a part of my DNA and a part of who I am. And, and I'm not talking about like any kind of racial or cultural thing. It's a subculture of, um, you know, uh, tattoos, piercings, and weird, you know, before EDM music was a joke, you know, like when it was right. new and weird and no one had ever heard it before, we were, we were dancing to that on stages. And we had taken something uh, that was, you know, it started in Ren Fairs and we put it on, on like a theater stage with professional lights and crazy costumes and theatrical themes. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so I, I, I'm completely captivated by this now. And so one of the things I'm thinking about is obviously there was something about that that spoke to you, right? Yeah. The picture looked different. It, it grabs your attention. Uh, you, you have kind of a flair for wanting to do something not only different but also instructive so it, it seemed like the perfect marriage for you the studio you, you have you have students that come in and like you said this is great because it can appeal to a wide variety of people you have a wide variety of students from different levels of, of dance or whatever but let's face it all of them who come in here probably have the same level of uncomfortableness with it because it is so unique and different to them when people come to you i'm curious how long does it really take them to feel comfortable and then I mean, as, as anybody who in, instructs art, I've got lots of friends that, that do on different levels. They'll say there's a moment where you can see people starting to not only get a lot out of it, but start to put back into it. What's that What's that time frame kind of like for someone who comes into something that really, I mean, you can, you can think you know what it's about, but then mm -hmm. when you're standing there, it's like, okay, I, this isn't a one-on-one -on -one oh, instructional yeah, yeah. kind of the, thing, so it's got to oh be. shit moment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that's the first class uh, people come in. And you know how a lot of fitness instructors will go, your first class is for free. And yeah, sure. a lot of people will hit me up like, do I get one class for free? And I, and I say no because I will never see you again because your first class will suck because you think that you're coming into something where you can just kind of like ride along. Right. And, uh, and it, you know, people in there, you know, most of my students are in their late 20s and, and on up to their 60s. And okay. so um, 
a lot of people haven't been in school for a long time. They haven't had to be a beginner at anything in a long time. So, um, you know, we talk in, in art, we always talk about the beginner's mind because you have art is kind of this process of failing and creating and failing and creating and just kind of living with it. And um, uh, people are very uncomfortable with that. It's a horrible feeling. It really is. Mm. It sucks to be an artist. Um, I hope I, I hope that I can impart on them, you know, having patience with yourself and and uh, having a growth mindset uh, and, and acknowledging that if you were already good at it, you wouldn't be in the class anyway. So, you know, I, I think that that's a that's probably my biggest competitor in this industry it's it's not other dance teachers it's not other fitness instructors my biggest competitor is the feeling that if you're not already good at it you you never will be that's gotcha. that's what i'm fighting against gotcha for the for the people that do open up because i'm sure that that any of this is very personal for folks mm -hmm. a lot of what they get out of it but for the people that do share with you what they get out of taking these classes the ones that have been with you for a while yeah. what common themes do you see it is deep stuff it really? is not weight loss it is really? it is yeah. not feeling sexy uh there are a lot of people that come in here and and i'll ask them what's your goal in my class it's to feel sexy and I apologize to them immediately because I can't give that to them. That's an inside job, first of all. Um, I get uh, people open up to me about their past with their um, I, sexual trauma. Uh, they open up to me about their uh, body image issues, eating disorders, uh, personal health history issues that they've never fully overcome uh family stuff just just really deep uh really deep amazing stuff when uh, usually will take three to six months for someone to just come up to me and kind of blurt it out and uh and i'm always like shocked and flattered and humbled and amazed when they go you know i've been really fighting with this thing for like 10 years uh spousal abuse all, all kinds of stuff why do you think this art form invites that? What, what, what do you think this is? I mean, because you do it. You participate in it just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. as much as they do. Oh, yeah. And people think that I might feel sexy, but I, I don't. I think, that, I, think that what is, I think that what is sexy, and this, this, I promise this ties back. Stick with me. Okay. What is sexy about this style of dance is the, that you have uh, these people, men and women, um, of all... Uh, gender identities, uh, sexual orientations, ages, sizes, um, owning their space. They have a, and, and dancing to music also gives you the illusion of this mastery over time. Okay. Because you're in time with the music and it looks very easy. Uh, it, once you've rehearsed a, a quadrillion times with me, it, it will look to the audience to be easy. Okay. And that is some powerful stuff. Um, the audience sees magic. And that's what it is to be a performer, is that you're giving the audience some fantasy and some magic. And they believe that you believe that you're sexy. <laughs> okay, And gotcha. they believe that you feel in control, and you don't. 
it's all an illusion, but it's something that you can participate in. And, and I think that in that process, you build bonds with huh. the other students. Uh, you build a connection, of course, to me. You start to feel connected to this community of other dancers who know what it's like, who understand that it is an illusion. It is performance art, and it does, uh, it does kind of tell, it tells a fantasy version of, of the life that you're living, and that is um, sometimes that can be very disillusioning for okay. people, but it can also be very liberating. Yeah. I, well, as much as I appreciate your, your Buddhist philosophy on a lot of things, let, let's go ahead and, 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 I, and I, you know, I can say from what I've seen with my own two eyes and from listening to you and how in touch you are with not only who you are as a person, but your students and your art and everything like that, none of this happened by mistake. There's a lot of hard work that went into this. While you may not have planned to leave TAPS, Obviously, coming out of it, you had some plan and where you wanted to go with it. Mm -hmm. What kind of plans or what kind of – let me – how about I ask it in a different way. What kind of – this is more the, the, the question you ask an artist. What kind of dreams do you have for what you're doing here? Where, where would you like to see uh, this go? Are there places that you'd like to see it catch on in some areas? Are, are, there, are there facets of the society that we live in around our community here in Columbia that you think – um, could really benefit from this. What, what would you like to see happen with this? It doesn't have to be your wildest dream with it. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. Next year or two, what would you like to see happen? Uh, so next year or two, I would like to see uh, my company. I've actually been teaching them how to play percussion instruments. Okay. So they're learning. I've how. seen pictures of you with drums. I was wondering about yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. So they're playing uh, darbuka, uh, various sized frame drums, as well as um, we play with uh, finger cymbals are a big one and uh, very frustrating. Um, and uh, a couple of other instruments have made their way in. Uh, the rick, which is like a really heavy uh, Middle Eastern uh, uh, tambourine almost. Okay. Um, so we are learning to play and dance as an ensemble because my dream is that we can play unamplified without recorded music. Okay, wow. Yeah, I would like to be like a gorilla style kind of traveling cult of goddessy people with musical instruments. And Just, I'm curious, so, so I have it the right frame of mind. How many dancers do you think it would take to, to, to get that kind of? I have more than enough. Oh, you do so, now? Okay, yeah, yeah. gotcha. So I, I think that um, in reality, in a, in a really focused environment, five or six people would do, but we have way more than that. So um, right now it's just getting everyone's skill levels up, and uh, they are, uh, my students especially, are very accustomed to dancing to choreography. Mm -hmm. So getting them a little bit looser, a little more accustomed to, in a jazz style, um, kind of uh, riffing and improving together in a coordinated way. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll create more flexibility so that we can go out and perform kind of on the fly uh, with little extra rehearsal time. Okay. I, I have to go back because i got to be honest. I've been a little uh, presumptive on a couple of things. <laughs> you, you mentioned – this is tickling my brain, so I have to ask it. You mentioned you have – do you have male students? Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. And, I, and again, sorry, just me being presumptive on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, so, and, and is that something that's been common, or is it is Wait, it still uh, more on the rare yeah, side? So, uh, it has in the past. It's been considered a very effeminate art form. Yeah. Um, and and especially, I don't know, you know, and in, in some enclaves, uh, people are very gendered about it. Um, 
women are afraid to let male uh, male people into their classes. I think because the, in the past, and I've had this happen before, uh, a creep finds out that you're teaching belly dance classes and just shows up. Sure, yeah. And says yeah. that he wants to take a class, but he actually just wants to be a voyeur. And so that was always a fear. Um, and then as we, you know, with the internet, we were able to meet people who were men who genuinely wanted to study the art form. Awesome, okay. And and I think that, and also just learning more about um, equality and that, you know, gender identity and sexual orientation is all kind of a spectrum. And I, and as I've gotten older, I can smell a creep from a mile away. So I'm <laughs> right, more comfortable yeah. letting people take my class because I gotcha. I also am a very formidably sized. I'm I'm a tall, large. You know, I think I can I can take a lot of. Yeah, yeah. You probably hold your own with that. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh yeah. Especially for in, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, so I know you've got a class coming up here, and, you, and I, again, I appreciate you letting me just slide in here yeah. real quick. And if people want to find out more about you and what you guys do here if they have some kind of interest uh -huh. something they want to just kind of peek in what's the best way for them to find out about it uh you can follow us on facebook is great because it really is updated like multiple times a day on like a website which gets okay. updated when i feel like it um <laughs> so my website is ashleymoredance.com uh, a-s-h-l-e-y-m-o-o-r-e-d-a-n-c-e.com and then uh on Facebook, you can find me uh, and my <laughs> joke about being a cult, but our dance company is called Tiny Coven Dance. Okay. And that it actually is a throwback to when we were in our itty bitty studio. It was a, it was like 125 square feet. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah. So we, we call it a tiny coven because we all wear black and it, we just looked ridiculous crammed in that tiny space. But um, Tiny Coven uh, Dance on Facebook, uh, and uh, my studio is Sage Studios WeCo, which is short for West Columbia, um, on Facebook as well. Excellent. Well, Ashley, thanks so much for sharing uh, uh, your story here. Let me come in and see the studio and all this. I, I really appreciate it. You've got like something extremely unique here, and I think it's really great that you want to share that with folks. So uh, thanks for taking time with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much. All right. I want to thank Ashley again for uh, letting me come and visit her studios, get to know her a little bit better. It was really, it was really a great time, and I was um, so incredibly out of my element. So, as someone who fancies himself a a, um, I I wouldn't say I'm an artist, but as someone who uh, whose family immerses themselves in art, whether it is the the music stuff that ev almost everybody in our family is involved in to uh, the, the, the plays that the girls do, the singing and dancing that Sterling does, all, all the different things that they're that everybody's involved in, uh, plus all of our friends that that bring us uh, to a lot of their events. As someone who seems to be well immersed in the arts program around Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I was completely out of my element. I am not. So I am the last thing that I am is a dancer. Um, it's not that I don't care about it. I'm, I'm amazed. By it. Most musicians aren't. I don't know. Most performing musicians are not dancers. When you when we go out to the club, we're not the ones dancing. I, it just it just seems to be that way. There are some that are. 
but most of us just don't seem to be that way. So uh, anytime I'm in a dance studio, I don't feel awkward. I just feel like I am completely out of place. Uh, some people feel very much at home there. And, and, and in this studio, it did have, and I can't, I can't uh, express this enough. It did have a very welcoming uh, feel to it. It, it, was, it. it was pretty amazing. That was very apparent to me from the moment I walked in. Uh, love that interview. I love the story about where she is. And uh, before and after the quick conversations we had, I, um, I, I was very impressed, uh, not only in what she had been through, but how she stuck with it. But she said something in that interview, though, that the moment she said it, it hit me right across the face. I deal with folks um, on a daily basis, uh, particularly the sales reps that I deal with. I, I, I have th- I have 13, 14 of them, 14 sales reps that I deal with on a daily basis and um, work with and help develop. And, and they work in a world, uh, if you don't know, if you're a new listener to the show, I, I work in hospice and, and senior health care. And they work in a world uh, of trying to help people with something that most of them don't want to talk about. Uh, it is it is a very unique situation to be in. And when someone gets into it and they get about a month or two in, when, whenever there's a, there's a brand new rep, whether they're uh, someone who's been uh, – has a great sales career behind them or not, when they're new into the hospice and, and palliative care world – after a couple of months, they, they don't see what they deem as success, and they start to really doubt themselves. It is it is very apparent. You can almost physically see it on them. I generally wait until we get to that point before I really start my coaching with them. And and that may sound odd to some of you that, that are managers, and the reason why is I have found that if I try to uh, divert that, and all the emotion that could go into that, or if I try to circumvent it in any way, that I am doing them a disservice. And and usually the people that don't go through that and process it and come out on the other side, they usually don't stay with you. Now, now why is that? In other words, why am I making <laughs> my reps' lives harder? Why am I putting them through a bunch of crap? For the same reason... That the other day when my daughter didn't get the part in the play that she wanted and she was upset about it, I told her that she needed to be upset about it. And I told her it was important for her to not always get the big parts in a play. I told her it was important for her to not be able to look and see that she could walk in and get everything that she wanted, that she needs to have something that upsets her a little bit. Uh, one of the things I've mentioned before uh, on the show is that for two years of my life, uh, the most uh, important lessons that I learned in college did not come from a teacher. It came from working for John Cress of the College of Charleston men's basketball team. Uh, this was in the 1980s. The, oh, no, excuse me, 1990s. I'm not that old. It was in the late 1990s when we were going to the NCAA tournament We beat North Carolina when they were number three in the nation, and we were unranked. Uh, We had beaten Tennessee uh, a year or two before when they were number 12, I believe, and we were unranked. 
Uh, if we had, if Arizona hadn't gotten a couple of calls down the stretch, we would have been in the Final Four. Arizona, who went on to win the national championship. Um, and then the huge upset against UMass that nobody saw coming. Uh, but I, I loved, you know, John Crest is a guy that was one of the most winningest coaches in all of college basketball. Uh, was one of the only couple of coaches that have ever coached in a gym named after them. Didn't have a losing season. But but Coach Crest has got a, a, an incredible career that brought him to College of Charleston. And one of the things that I love about listening to the stories of the people that knew John Cress uh, before he was Coach Cress uh, were, were, were amazing. I mean, he was responsible for helping build the New Jersey Nets and the ABA. The, the, the rumor is he's the one that recruited Dr. J. I don't know how true that is, but I've heard that from quite a few people. But John Cress is from New York. It's very apparent when you talk to him. And John Crest learned about basketball from Lou Cardaseca. Now, if you're not a big sports person, these names may not mean anything to you. Just understand, you're talking basketball royalty. But the way John Crest got started in basketball was amazing. Coach Crest showed up to be a walk-on St. John's. Goes in there, and they cut him. Not not good enough. This guy's not going to make it. Actually, I think that it was more of a, what is this guy doing here? He certainly doesn't belong here. Thanks for trying, John. We'll see you later. Uh, And then he showed up for the next round of cuts the next day. And then he showed up for the first day of practice. And he showed up yet again. And it, it got to the point where <laughs> where Luke Cardaseca finally turned to one of his assistants and said, didn't we cut that guy? The answer was yes. The decision was made on the spot that anybody that wanted to work that hard and be a part of the program needed to be a part of it. He was made an assistant. John Cress's career took off from there. Now, there were ups and downs, and there were bumps and bruises and setbacks along the way. I, I'm not saying it was all, you know, rosy from, from that point. But it was there that John Crest learned something that Ashley Morris spoke to me in her studio. That all the talent in the world and everything that you could have all comes down to one thing. And it's the same reason why I talked to my daughter the way that I did the other day. You don't get the best parts in the play. I remember when I was in high school, there was a play that I wanted to be in, and I wanted the lead role in it. Yes, I did theater in in high school. And uh, I tried out, and honest to God, thought I was better than the guy that they chose for the lead role. Let's not let's not let's not mince words here. I was better. I was head and shoulders better. But there were a couple of things that I didn't understand being someone who was, you know, just a teenager in, in theater. Uh, I didn't understand typecasting. I fit another role that they wanted much better than what someone else was going to do, partly because of of the way I looked and the way I sounded. But I also needed to not get that role because the other role was too easy. 
So I sat there and I watched. I spent a lot of my time watching how people um, hit their spots and missed their spots. How the actors weren't really turned the way they should towards the audience. Or they were turned so much toward the audience that they weren't interacting with each other. I, I watched how when they would fumble for their words, there were physical tells that they were given so that whether they realized it or not, I could tell when they were about to miss a word because their their body was giving off a hint, even in a split second, that as someone who is sitting in a theater that is dark, that I have nothing else affecting my senses except for what you're feeding me, is able to pick up in a split second and allow for me to feel that you are going to mess up before you actually do this is a phenomenon that i don't think we pay attention to it is it is the very same thing that you feel when you go to a middle school concert you know not not elementary school but middle school where the kids are good enough to get through the music without messing up especially if they're doing something solo but you start doing that thing we all say you're waiting for them to make the mistake it's because they're putting that off as well it, it taught me about confidence and the importance of it and overconfidence and how that can be used as a cover-up. I don't give that secret away free, though. That that's You got to buy me a couple of beers at the bar for me to explain that one to you. But what I'm saying is it was really important for me to not have quit that play and said that's not good enough or sat there and sulked or not made the most of the opportunity. Because the very next year, I got the lead role in the the big play that year. Actually won Actor of the Year for Lawrence County Community Theater that year. Thank you very much. But if I'm being honest, the only reason I, I won that award is because I was placed in that role the year before. Ashley's story about being in the 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 one building and then suddenly having to find her own studio, uh, we kind of just grazed over that. As she was giving me the tour, that was a main focal point of our conversation. Oh, my God. I'm not only losing my studio, it's costing me my job. We talked a lot more about other loss. Uh, in her life and other challenges and other things that have come yet she still has a studio that has ended up being a better situation than where she was before and as she said certainly not the finished product just a step along the way when she said that the most important thing was not quitting to keep moving forward it was amazing listening to someone who very easily could have continued to harp on the bad things that were going on in her life, but that had nothing to do with it except for the fact that it was just a part of the story. She didn't let it stop her from moving forward. She still had her belief in what she did and the people that were out there and the idea that it can bless more people's lives and the and the idea that something that she is passionate about can continue forward with her no matter what the setback is. And she's absolutely right. John Cress was absolutely right. 
He was not good enough to make the basketball team, but he had a passion for basketball. And he is now in the South Carolina College Sports Hall of Fame and I believe is going to be in the College Basketball Hall of Fame if he wasn't already inducted. I think that may have been last year. My daughter uh, will get a great part in a play one day because she's going to make the most out of any part that she's given. I've had Kimberly Bryant on here before. If you don't remember that name, Kimberly was Miss South Carolina in the 1980s, um, and she was one of the lead uh, females that rotated around on Phantom of the Opera on Broadway for 25 years. Little girl from Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Just a few years ago, retired from a quarter of a century on Broadway. Brian Brushwood, who has had television shows on Nat Geo, who has been on this program before, uh, when he told me, uh, when I asked him, hey, what's the biggest uh, key to success you have? He said, just ask. Just ask. Keep trying. Keep moving forward. Don't stop. Just ask people, hey, can I come on your show? He asked Ricky Lake, can I come on your show? J just some dude who was a magician in Texas. She said, yes. The, 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 uh, Oprah. I don't know why I put Ricky, Ricky Lake over Oprah. But, but back in the 90s, she meant a little bit more. Uh, the, the idea that we shouldn't quit being the most important thing is the most overlooked thing we have. Look, I hear people tout all the time, I'm just going through a season. I think, I think Ashley even mentioned something to that fact during the interview. But that doesn't give you the chance and the opportunity to wait for the season to change. You keep moving forward through the snow just like you do through the spring. You may move slower, but you keep moving. That's what you do. Now, why am I so passionate about this today? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm starting to realize as I look back over and listen to shows over the past four years that the times in my life, the times in my life when I've been affected the most are the times in my life when something bad happened and I took too long to take a breath. Oh, there's nothing wrong in pausing for a moment. But it's the people that keep moving forward and don't quit. Because there, there's another thing that happens with us as well. And I think with Ashley, with her being a business owner, it kind of it kind of points this out as well, uh, maybe a little bit more than the other examples. There's a there's a thing, you know, for us generation extras that are out there, you know, that there is a generation they're not talked about, but you know, there's the boomers and the millennials, and there's the generation extras we're not talked about, which we shouldn't be because we've never been talked about. We're those forgotten children. Uh, we just happen to be the ones that run everything right now, but that that's okay. That's okay. Just just ignore us as we continue to make all the decisions, even though you think we don't. Because even if we may be smaller in numbers, we vote more, we own more organizations. It's just the, it's a fact of society. Sorry, just deal with it. One of the things that uh, I think is negative about our generation, though, is uh, we weren't necessarily the TV generation. That really was more the baby boomers because they started with it. We are the video game generation. And there's something bad that happened with video games a long time ago. You see, 
back back in my day when you played a video game, if you died, you started over from the beginning. And then one day, one day somebody made a video game that had a battery in it. And it saved your game. And you could get, you could, I mean, it took you months to complete this game. This wasn't a sit down and get to the end of a side-scrolling game. This was an adventure. It even came in a gold cartridge. And the thing about it is when you started playing these games that were more role-playing or adventure, uh, one of the things that would happen with a lot of us is we get to a point somewhere a day or two down the road and we realize that we've missed something that we could have gotten something that would have made something a little bit easier or progressed our character a little bit farther and so what is what would happen is generally most of us would hit the reset button start the game over and we'd start it from knowing what we knew up to a point and so it allowed for us to get a little bit ahead, right? The problem is when you catch back up to the point, you're back where you originally stopped, you're back doing what you were before. Not knowing the future. And what would happen a lot of times then is we would get through a hard part and we'd go back to the last point we resaved to do it over again. What it taught us is... Uh, what was the premise of Eminem writing that incredibly poignant line? Life is not a Nintendo game. It taught us that we could take what we know now and go back to what we were. That's not how life works. And I think for a lot of us, and I saw somebody write a paper on this one time. I, I, I you know, I, I found it, um, I found I found it very compelling, but I think for a lot of us, we just want to do that. That well, let me just okay. I can't. I didn't do it right this time, so let me just go back and reset, and I'll start over. I've been guilty of that. I've seen myself do that. Instead of fighting forward, let let me just go somewhere else, and I'll start over. There are times in my life that I haven't done that. There are times in my life that I've been um, accused of doing that. I'm I'm really amazed when you go through a divorce how so many people who have never been through a divorce, oh my God, what they assume is amazing. Of course, they'll usually take sides or they'll take one point and run with it. That's fine. You're, you're missing out. Um, Because then when you turn around and go through a divorce, you're going you're gonna to learn a hard lesson. Um, in the case of like marriage and stuff like that, that's not what I did. When I when I married uh, Maria, it wasn't so much of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do this one right. No, it's like, I actually felt like I did the other one right. <laughs> I'm going to be quite honest with you. Uh, this one has nothing to do with that. Oh, there are lessons learned and there's patience. and uh, yeah, Okay, yeah, I get you on that. But it was never, well, I, I'll just do this one right. And if I don't, I will find another. That's, that's not how it, it works. This This human interaction is, in and of itself, its own unique thing. Treating any situation of ours like that and moving forward, understanding that no matter what you've learned, you still have something to learn. The most important thing is to not quit is one of the most important things you can ever discover as an adult human being. 
Some of you out there today are going through a change. Some of you out there today have been absolutely disappointed with something that's happened to you at work. There was an opportunity to move somewhere else. There was a job that you thought you were going to get. There was a promotion that was that was either promised to you or you were pretty sure it was yours to get and you have not gotten it. Fine. Don't give up. There are those of you that have wanted to start a business and all you see is failure. It's fine. It's part of your story. It's not the end unless you make it that way. There are those of you that are in relationships and that are in with people and they're bad and they're terrible. Get rid of them. That doesn't have to be your life. (laughs) But don't give up on the fact that you could have a relationship with somebody else. Don't quit. Those of you that don't know what to do with your kids, don't give up on them. Don't quit. Even if something has been taken away from you unfairly, don't give up. You have to keep going. The path is still there in the winter, just like it is in the spring. It's harder to see and covered in snow, but it's still there. It's slower. It's more cumbersome, but it still will get you to a destination. And the failures and the successes along the way are just part of the story and the footsteps that it takes to get there. If you screwed up Valentine's Day, (laughs) don't quit. Find something else to celebrate. Whatever you do, in all honesty, in all seriousness. Your best stories are ahead of you. A setback and a failure is just a part of life. But if you let it defeat you, that is a choice you've made. Always find a way. Always keep going. Never give up. Thanks for stopping by the bar. We've picked up your tab. But if you'd like to leave the best bartenders you know a tip head over to patreon.com forward slash local bar and support the show. Any support is greatly appreciated. If you'd like to drop us a line, send your emails to chad at localbarmedia.com. Thanks for coming in. See you next week. Yes, we will see you next week. Thanks so much again to Ashley Moore of Sage Studios. We really appreciate it. Hope you guys are having a great week and great weekend. Looking forward to talking to you next week. Until then, take care. This podcast is part of a local bar media. For this and other shows, visit localbarmedia.com.